This podcast is brought to you by the Islamic Center and NYU. For more information, visit our website at www.icnyu.org. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبه نستعين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا بالقاسم محمد وعلى أحد بيته الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل وسلم على محمد وآل محمد For today's discussion in light of us concluding our last chapter of the Quran as mentioned and because we have only a couple of weeks before Muharram, I thought to choose a topic that a lot of people often reflect about and research about and learn about and study about and listen to podcasts about, which is how to be successful in this world. In fact, if you take a look at you know Audible, or if you take a look at what are the most popular podcasts available, or the most popular reads today, every day we're exposed to a new piece of literature or some new multimedia with regards to self-help and how to, again, find success in this world, whereby we're consistently measuring ourselves up uh, against others, or where society allows for us or virtually forces us to perceive how we should define success. And if you take a step back for just a moment, when I say the word success in the first place, for most people, it might be the easiest objectifiable way or objectifiable term to define. Success is in wealth. Success is in education. Success is in family. Success is in certain physical forms and manifestations. If we walked across this city of ours and we walked by a particular neighborhood that was known for its wealth, and looking at these homes and looking at these cars and looking at that neighborhood, immediately someone would determine that people who live here are successful. And if we also walked along the same exact city of ours and we saw the homelessness that we do and we see the poverty that we do and we see all of the challenges that people also go through, particularly in these days in post-pandemic New York City, immediately someone would immediately state that these people are unsuccessful. But in reality, like we know from people who don't only look at things on the surface, but have to seek an essence and a depth to what it is that we're looking at, we shouldn't be so quick to pass judgment, nor is determining success so quick and so easy. If we go back to Quranic examples, for instance, if someone saw the you know primary, you know, protagonist and antagonist within the whole Quran, Musa and Fir'aun, someone would immediately suggest based on that same vision that Fir'aun was successful. Fir'aun had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of property. He literally had people calling him God, right? Well, on the flip side, Fir'aun didn't have parents. He literally was an orphan. He grew up in a home that was not his own. He didn't have anything other than what was given to him. Yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as well as every single believer in the Quran and in the story of Musa and millions of other people who know the story of Moses, no one would state that Musa is not successful. No, no one would suggest such a thing. Similarly, no one would state the same about the Prophet, who again, didn't have financial means, but nonetheless, no one would say that he was unsuccessful in his 
in his life. Or in the example of Imam al-Hussein, uh, you see Imam al-Hussein with a band of a hundred some odd people. And on the flip side, standing against 30,000 in the army of Umar bin Sa'ad, who would say that Hussein is unsuccessful, even though he was martyred and killed in the most horrific way, and that the army of Umar bin Sa'ad and bin Umayyah were successful? No, because again, we see that there's a depth toward understanding a term um, like this one. And so when you go toward the whole of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines for us what it means to understand success. Two verses. He says in chapter 18, verse 103, he says, Should we tell you and should I explain to you of who are the losers virtually of this world? He continues in verse number 104. He says, those who are unsuccessful are those who exert themselves only for this world. And they themselves, they think internally that, look, my life is so great. Because their only concern is this dunya. Their only concern is this world. And again, I don't mean to sound cliche. I know I mentioned this yesterday during our Eid sermon as well. But it's really, really important to once in a while remind ourselves in the midst of the distractions that we live in, that we're drowned in, in this part of the world, in this city, that we don't live for this world. And again, it sounds something that's been repeated to you a million times, but sometimes we need that reminder time and time again. If we experience anything over the last several years, we stared down mortality more than maybe any one of us have ever experienced in the course of our life. If you lived here in New York during the pandemic, every single day, we would hear about people who, who, who we know very close have passed away or got sick consistently. I can't tell you how many funerals I attended. I can't tell you how many people I was on the phone with consoling them or sending them emails. I can't tell you how many Janazah prayers I went to during that time because it was almost an everyday occurrence for months, for months. And that taught us again about the transient nature of this world, you know, and at least for me internally, even though it's something that I read about and that I study about, once you see it, it becomes actualized and it becomes more internalized than ever before. And over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he points to this reality within these verses of the Quran. He says that for most people, their determination of what they need to do while they're in the world is that they need to accumulate, that they need to gain they need to gain in their knowledge. They need to gain in their decree, degrees. They need to gain in their wealth. They need to you know, gain and gain and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate up to what end, right? And that that is their determinant for success. And if you really, really think about it, what makes us then different than anyone else in the world? Take a look, right? Take a look. In life, we are, you know, society pushes us to... Um, study really, really hard, not for the sake of like attaining knowledge or that we can utilize that knowledge to be of good service to anyone else, but rather that we learn, that we benefit, that we gain so that we can get a really good job so we can make as much money as possible in our field, so that we can become the best in our field, which is good and is encouraging. We should do that. We are followers of the Prophet of God, وسلم. we should utilize our religion as a strength and be the best in whatever it is that we're doing. 
But in addition to that, not for you know, something that is only self-serving, but something that's also serving back to the community. So we should be the best academic. You should be the best teacher. You should be the best. You should be the best dentist. You should be whatever it is that you possibly can in order to also be of service to others. But again, over here in the world that we live in, it's about how are you serving yourself? How are you serving yourself? And then you accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. You make all this money. You put in some investment vehicle. You put all this money into your you know, retirement fund and whatever it might be. And then what's going to happen? In 50 years, we're going to die. And then our children are going to inherit that wealth. And they're going to have that same mindset of accumulation and accumulation. and accum- To what end? <laughs> it just keeps on getting inherited. What's the benefit of that? So again, to be strategic in the way that we think about these things and to remember, again, that there is a world beyond this one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another verse of the Quran, in chapter 28, verse 60, he says, And know, God says, and know that whatever we give you of this world, whatever benefit that you gain, whatever privileges you've been afforded in this dunya, that it's an enjoyment for this world. It's good. There's nothing wrong with wealth, nothing wrong with health, nothing wrong with power, nothing wrong with all of these great benefits and privileges that were afforded. But know that it is something that is pleasurable for a short period of time. It's something attractive and it's good. And when you have it, you should appreciate it. And if you were to lose it tomorrow, it shouldn't bother you because you know that it's temporary. This world is temporary. We know that. And to remind ourselves of the temporary nature of this world, we need to be in that state. In that Arabic language, the word dunya comes from the root word dana, which means something very, very close or something very, very low, something very insignificant. I'll give example. One day, Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen, he was walking with a group of his disciples, his companions and his confidants. And one of them said, oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, tell us about the nature of this world. What is this world? He says, let's walk. And when they're walking, they see this farm from a distance. And the imam says, we're going to walk toward this, this farm. And as they get closer and closer and closer, that same companion, he says, oh, Ali, is this world like this farm in comparison with all of the exterior beauties of the sun and the clouds and the sky and the moon and the stars? What are you trying to say? He's like, no, be patient. They get closer and they get closer and they get closer until they see this group of cows in this farm. To which the imam says, do you see this group of cows? And one of them says, oh, Ali, are you trying to tell us that this, you know, that this world is like a cow in comparison with this beautiful scenery that's decorated around it? He says, no. He says, just be patient. And as they get closer and closer and closer to this group of cows, they see one dead cow in the midst of it. And the imam Ali says, do you guys see this dead cow? And that man, he says, oh, Ali, are you trying to tell us that this cow, that this dead cow is, you know, the similarity to this world, similitude of this world? He says, no. He tells his companions, he said, open up the mouth of this cow. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. It's disgusting. <laughs> he says, no, do it. They open up the mouth of this dead cow and they see 
that before the cow died, he was eating some grass from the floor, from the ground. And he had some of the grass inside of his teeth, you know, still in his teeth. Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says that this world is like these, is, is, is like these pieces of grass in the teeth of this dead cow. The world, people in this world, they consistently consume themselves with something so disgusting, something so insignificant. When, this, when the next world is far greater, you can't compare. So don't get so caught up in something that is seemingly attractive to you when in reality it demonstrates to the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that state. Meaning it's something not attractive at all. It's disgusting. And we see this within this verse of the Quran. Allah says, فَمَتَاءُ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا وَزِينَتُهَا وَمَا إِنَّ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ وَأَبَقَى And that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is better than this world and it's longer lasting. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that when we talk about the comparison between this world and the next world, it's to know that that which we invest in this one for the next one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of us. And it's far greater. Every pleasure of this dunya is mixed with stress, mixed with anxiety, mixed with trouble. But in the world beyond this one, the food tastes better, the experiences are better, it's far longer lasting. Why again then do we get so consumed in this dunya? Why? Every single one of us, every single human being has to navigate the struggle. And for that, I wanted to take a look at some lines from Nahj al-Balagha, whereby Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali salam defines for us how we make this balance then between this world and the next. At the end of the day, as poor that it is that we speak about this dunya with all of these you know, characteristics and definitions and anecdotes and whatnot, Allah still created us for this world. He created us to live in this world. He didn't create us for this world. He created us in this world. And we have to navigate it. And in a hadith, it says, لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ تَرَكَ آخِرَتَهُ لِدُنْيَا He or she is not from us who abandons the next world for the sake of this world. Obvious, right? Should I repeat that? They are not from us who abandon the next world for this world. Meaning don't live for this world only. Remember that there's a world beyond this one. And the hadith from the Prophet ﷺ contains. He says, وَلَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ تَرَكَ دُنْيَاهُ And he or she is not from us who abandons um, this world also for the next meaning that we have to find balance. In other words, if we only lived for that world, for the akhara, then to go to a mountain and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every night and to fast every single day would be our religious obligation. We know that's not the case. We got to deal with people. <laughs> as much as people suck sometimes, right? We have to you know, have relationships. We have family. We have to go to work. We have, to, we have things that we got to do in this world. And we can't abandon that either. But then how do we find this balance, so to say, between navigating the trials and tribulations and challenges and joys and privileges of this world with also being mindful of the next world? Everyone understand the question over here? So far, so good? Okay. And I wanted to take a look at one line from a hadith from Ali ibn Abi Talib. 
which many of you may have heard in the past already, but nonetheless, to read it with a little bit of a different reading and different perspective so that hopefully we can take some benefit from it. This narration is narrated in Nahjur Balagh as well as other uh, references and are the last words of the commander of the faithful, Ali ibn Abi Talib, to his sons, Al-Hassan wal Hussein, at the time of his death. And he states, O Sikuma, wa jami'i, waldi, wa ahli, wa man balagahu kitabi. Meaning that the Imam Ali Salam, these were his last words as he wrote down to his children, okay? Or that was being written down while he was speaking as he was on his deathbed. He says, I'm advising you too, my two sons, Al-Hassan wal Hussein, grandsons of the Prophet of God, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa alayhi and all of my children, wa ahli, and all of my family, and whoever that this letter reaches, whoever my writing reaches, meaning all of us, because it's reached us at the very least today. Then he gives, th- he gives many advices. I'm going to take the first three today. Inshallah, we take nine. Number one, I advise you to have taqwa of Allah. Allah. I advise you to be guide conscious, to have taqwa in Allah. Number two, to manage your affairs. We'll define what that means. And number three, to engage in positive, in good relations with your family. We'll talk about what this means as well. So number one, the Imam Ali Salam, he says that the first piece of advice that I give anyone who, who, who this letter reaches is that they should have taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, naturally, any advice offered by a saint and any advice that is offered by a wali from the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to begin with a sense of intentionality, with an understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. What does it mean then to have taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So a couple of, a couple of different um, uh, points that we can, we can take lesson from here. First of all, this term taqwa is something we hear very often. What does it mean? Taqwa means to be God conscious or to be God wary. In other words, to feel the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to understand that at every moment in the course of my life, God is vigilant over my deeds and over my actions. When I'm in a conversation with somebody, I know that God is watching. When I'm alone, I know that God is watching. That Before I go to sleep, I know that God is watching. When I'm in prayers, that God is watching at every moment and every juncture. And obviously that's difficult, right? That's, that, that's challenging. For us to be in that state of consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at every moment during the course of our existence, we would never commit a sin. We would never transgress. We would never make a mistake. We'd be so vigilant and careful with every one of the words that we speak, but we're not. <laughs> right? Or at least I'm not, because we are forgetful and we're negligent creation. But the idea is to work toward, that doesn't mean we give up, I'm, I'm, how am I ever going to get there? And you can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't say that either. No, you have to believe that you can strive and you can work and you can grow and you can develop yourself toward reaching in that state, toward reaching that state whereby you have a conviction that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is vigilant over me at every moment. Worship Allah as though you see him for even though you do not see him, he sees you, as the hadith of the Prophet says, right? He tells Abadar al-Ghafari, or Abadar, worship Allah as though you see him. Do we see Allah? We don't see Allah. 
but worship as though you see him. For even though you do not see him, he sees you. And in a hadith from one of the, or, or, or in a report as narrated by one of the companions of Imam Sadiq, he said, when I saw Ja'far bin Muhammad in Salat, I would see him standing and begging to God as if Allah was in front of him. This is how they worshipped. But to worship in ritual also needs to go beyond to our day-to-day affairs as well. Meaning not only in my prayers, which think about it, what do we think about when we're in prayers? Everything other than prayers. Everything other than prayers. If you lose something in your house, or if you lost something and you're trying to find it, go and pray to the prayers. You'll probably remember in your prayers. You think about the most random things in your prayers, right? Not because all of a sudden God's revealing something to you. No, no. It's because that our mind is so preoccupied with everything else other than our prayers. But we start with our prayers. Worship Allah as though you see him, for even though you don't see him, he sees you. But then to build, then to build, right? Sometimes during Ramadan, we're more God conscious. We're fasting because we're fasting, you know? Allahumma inni sa'im, right? Someone says something to you. You want to get mad at them. You remember you're fasting, so you bite your tongue, right? The kids are being difficult, right? Immediately, I want to scold them. I see my wife's face and she's staring at me. Oh, shoot, I'm fasting. I forgot. I won't get mad right now. Because again, it allows for us to reach a higher level of consciousness. What can we do to increase that? What can we do to increase that consciousness? This starts, this is the first level of success. Success in this world, success in the next world, right? Is to be in a state of God consciousness. Why or how could being God conscious actually be helpful to us in this world? Think about it for just a moment. We have to understand, right? And this is really, really important, I think. A lot of times people, they fail to understand that beyond my actions in the physical manifestation of this world, there's also a world of the unseen. There is Alam al-Ghaib. There is the world that we do not see physically or tangibly, but nonetheless, things happen in that universe, in that existence. Let me give you an example. If I make dua all day and all night and I worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, dedicate myself to him. And my only dua is, oh Allah, I want to, I don't know, learn Farsi. Okay. But I never one day take a class in learning Farsi. Am I ever going to learn? No. Why not? Why not? By asking Allah all day and all night. But your actions ain't going to agree. Yeah. I never, I'm not putting any commitment into it, right? I'm trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow for the facilitation of my dua to be responded to. But I didn't put any effort myself. I Meaning it goes two ways. There's two doors that you have to walk through. One of them is the physical and the other one is the non-physical, the metaphysical, so to say. God can facilitate for us, absolutely. But we need to start by putting our own effort and our own foot first, okay? So over here, when we talk about having taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's on the flip side, people, you know, they struggle with the opposite, right? They say, I'm studying so much. I'm studying so much. Where's God? But you ever ask God? You ever ask God to help you in the first place, right? Or you only ask God when you need him or when you want him. That's not how it works. To have the sense of conviction 
in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to believe in him and to make dua. Remember the dua of someone who has belief and conviction is different than the dua of the one who only asks when they need. God gives out of his mercy, out of his grace in the dua of Imam al-Sadiq, which we recite during the month of Rajab. Ya man yu'ti man sa'ala Ya man yu'ti man lam yas'aluhu wa man lam ya'rifhu tahannunam minhu wa rahma that, oh Allah, you give to the one who asks you. You give to the one who doesn't ask. You give to the one who doesn't even care about you. You give to the one who doesn't know you. You give to the one who rejects you. This is Allah. But naturally, the dua of the one who knows and the one who believes and the one who asks is different than the one who only asks when they need. Okay? So over here, when we talk about having taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to know again that it offers us tangible benefits and opportunities for success in this dunya and in the akhirah. So what are some other manifestations of taqwa? Why does Imam Ali alayhi salam start with taqwa? Number one, or number two, or number three, whatever number one, I don't even know, is to be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times is a manifestation of taqwa. To be thankful in the good times, to be thankful in the bad times. We have a hadith. I can't remember the exact words, but virtually it says that life is of two days. In the good days, you're thankful. And in the difficult days, you're patient. Some days are going to be good. And on those days, you're thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on days that are not going so well, you remain patient knowing that there's going to be good days that are going to come virtually. Number two, a manifestation of someone who has that sense of God consciousness. And again, which is a contributing factor to our success in this world is to not compare ourselves to others. This is naturally something that we're often inclined to do based on the way that society cultivates the human being. We are virtually pushed into an avenue whereby we are consistently comparing ourselves to others in anything and in everything. Where you live, how you dress, what you look like, what you're eating, everything. We're looking at others to seek validation from or to get validation from. And this is the world and this is what society pushes us toward. In a line from Nahj al-Balagha, Ali alayhi salam, he talks about how a believer is someone who, when they receive blessing, they're thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, but they look toward those who have less than them. So they can share in that blessing, be it wealth, be it whatever privilege that they've been afforded to see. But when they're going through hardship themselves, they don't look at those who have more than them. Someone's going through financial hardship. They don't look at those who have more than them. They remind themselves to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they see those who they still have more than. You know what I'm saying? In other words, that you can attain whatever you attain in knowledge, in chastity, in uh, wealth, in whatever. And you should always think about increasing your station. If you're knowledgeable, there's someone who's also more knowledgeable than you. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, there's, you, think you're, you, think you're, you think you're smart? Well, there's someone who's smarter than you and it humbles you, not in a bad way, right? But then you also know that you have a privilege. Now, how can I share in that? How can I share in that? You think you're wealthy? Well, there's people who are a lot more wealthy than you. You think that you gave a big gift in, 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 in a big contribution in charity? Well, there's someone who also did it better than you in wealth or in sincerity. Meaning that don't compare yourself consistently because it's not good for your heart. 
or never compare yourself because it's never good for your heart. But see where you can grow based on the examples that we've been given from the Prophet and his family. Uh, and a third manifestation of taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we should remember our place. In other words, remind ourselves that we're a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, once again, that same line that I repeat is that we don't want to only live for this world, but remember that we're living for something far greater. Very good. So let's go back to the hadith of the Imam alayhi salam. He says, I'm advising you too, Al Hassan and Hussein, and all of my children, and all of my family, and whoever this letter reaches. Number one, to be God conscious, to be God weary, to feel the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and to know that He is vigilant over us at every moment. Everyone good? So far, this is number one. Number two, number two, he says, and manage your affairs. What does it mean? Many commentators of Nahj al-Balagha, they state that when the Imam salam is talking about Nadma Amrikum, he's giving us an obligation. An obligation of us thinking out what is it that we need to ask ourselves this question. What is it that we want from this world? Remember, success, even physically or tangibly, cannot be attained if we haven't defined it for ourselves. Someone says, I want to uh, go to school, but I don't know what I want to do. That's fine. For how long, though? I want to, um, you know, again, learn this language, but they don't put in their effort toward learning the language. I want to, most people, you know, I talk to students all day long in my work, and they don't have a vision of what it is that they want to do or what it is that they want to be, or we set our goals really, really short. Why do we do that? Why, why don't we set really, really big goals? I want to be happy. Okay, what does it mean to be happy? I just want to be comfortable. What does it mean to be comfortable? I gave this example some weeks ago during one of our, uh, during one of our talks, whereby when we're younger, we define our success by getting $10, getting $15, getting $100. And then we realize that money doesn't mean anything. And then getting $1,000. And then we define it by, I want to make $100,000 salary. And then what is it going to end? We haven't defined what it is that we want from this world. That's why we're consistently changing our, our, our mind about what we want. To set goals that are not, again, only self-serving, but that also can serve others and to serve community, in other words. Okay, you want to be a doctor? Good. How can you utilize your knowledge then to serve others? Set really big goals. Why, why, why wouldn't we if we could? And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he can help us sort of get to that level, why wouldn't we? I'll give you a couple of, um, uh, I'll give you one hadith from the Imam, alayhi uh, salatu wasalam, that helps support this reality. He says, Assalamu alayhi Imam Ali, Lo kunna la narju jannah, wala nakhsha naran, wala thawaban, wala iqaba, lakin yanbaghi lana an natlub makarim al-akhlaq. He says that if we did have, if we had absolutely no concern with paradise, nor did we have any concern with fire of hell or punishment or reward, meaning these things didn't exist to us, at the very least, at the very least, we should set a goal for ourselves. What is that goal? My goal is that I should be a good person, that I should have good etiquette. 
And that will immediately lead us towards success. When the Imam السلام, in this hadith, he says, Think internally about what it is that you want to give in this world. And again, not something that is self-serving. When you talk about, you know, someone says, leave behind a legacy, not so that you have a big statue of yourself somewhere that people come and, you know, treat you as a, you know, as a God. No, forget that. What legacy can I leave behind so that other people can benefit? Again, like I said before, if we are a people who have learned anything in the last several years, then we'll learn that, again, this world is transient and that I'm absolutely going to die. And so is everyone else in this room. Breaking news, sorry to tell you. But through that remembrance, there's an opportunity for us to live through that remembrance of our own death. We have an opportunity to live far beyond this world where somebody prays for us, someone benefits from the words that I'm saying, from someone benefits from your good action, your good charity. What is it that I'm going to give? What is it that I'm going to leave behind? What legacy am I going to allow for it to manifest, not only for one generation, but generation after generation after generation? How can I be a part of that? Think about it. You think about it individually and don't stop thinking about it. Don't stop. Every, every, every day, every week, think about it. We're just, I was just talking to Asad a little while ago before the program, and I was talking about how we should always be reflecting about what we're going to be doing in the next five years. What was I telling you? Every day, every week, I think about what's the next five years going to look like in, internally, right? And then we should always be doing that during the course of our life. How do you reevaluate? How do you recalibrate? And it's okay if that changes, but set big goals. And you'll see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can facilitate amrikum. So when we start with Allah, Allah, as the Imam Ali starts with, he says, when you have this sense of God consciousness and conviction, and then you set that intention, then you set that goal, and then you're able to manage these affairs for yourselves, again, they become more clear because you know that God has your back, so to say. And then number three, and again, the Imam mentions many, I'll just stop with this last third one. And to mend relationships between your families, between um, your family, between those who um, those who have obstacles and challenges amongst one another. For mending uh, familial relations is better than performing recommended prayers and fasting. We know probably within your own families, within your own communities, things that you've seen, how many challenges that siblings have, parents with their children, children with their parents, aunts, uncles, how much mess sometimes families are. Believe me, in the work that I do, right? Every single day, I talk to a family that is absolutely broken because of money, because of ego, because of character, because of personality, because of something, you know, seemingly very trivial and sometimes not trivial, but seemingly very, very trivial in many, many circumstances. Again, if we want success in this world and the next, if you want happiness, sometimes our biggest stress is our family. Our biggest stress is familial challenges. Why? especially if there's an opportunity to mend those relations, how can you interject, you know, where you see, you know, two people who are going through difficulty 
and say, hey, why don't we just forget about it? I'll give you this. I'll leave you with this one anecdote. This requires a lot of conversation and whatnot, but I'll leave you with this one anecdote and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Some of you might be familiar with Alama al-Majlisi. Alama al-Majlisi is one of our most prominent classical scholars in the um, 1500s or so. He's the compiler of Bihar al-Anwar, which is a 110 volume hadith work, 110 volume hadith work of Ahlul Bayt, alayhi uh, Many of you, how many of you have heard of Bihar al-Anwar? Bihar al-Anwar is a very, very famous uh, hadith text. Again, 110 volumes. Think about this for just one moment. How difficult is it to read 110 volumes of a hadith work, let alone write it and transcribe it? His, um, you know, legacy remains in this, in this monumental work. His student, uh, Sheikh Ne'matullah Jazairi, one day, he sees his teacher in a dream, Alama Majlisi. And in a dream, he sees him in this really, really, really beautiful mountain, or, sorry, this really, really beautiful mansion on top of this really beautiful mountain. So he is standing at the bottom of this hill and he's looking up at this you know, beautiful home and he sees Alama Majlisi, his Sheikh, come out of the front door. And he says, Salaamu Alaikum, Alaikum Salaam. He says, are you in paradise? He says, yes, this is my home in paradise. He says, what got you there? It must have been your, uh, your Bihar Anwar, this, this 110 volume hadith work that you compiled. And he says, no. He said, that's not what got me here. He says, what do you mean? He said, one day, he said, I was walking in the marketplace and I saw these two guys friends, people from my community, they were arguing with one another over money. One of them said, you owe me $100, for instance. I don't know how much it was. You owe me $100. And the other one said, no, I already gave it to you. And I saw them arguing and I saw them fighting and I saw them in this state. And I went up to them. I said, hey, what's, what's going on? What's wrong with you guys? And the guy says, this guy owes me $100. And the guy said, no, I already paid you. And he says that I looked at them and I was really, really upset to see two members of my community, two guys who used to be friends, they're fighting over something insignificant. Why should money be the cause of this disruption in their lives? So he said that I took out some money from my pocket, $100 that I needed myself, and I gave it to the guy who was asking. And I said, look, I'm going to give you $100, but on the condition that you don't hold any more grudge against your believing brother. And he said, I gave it to them, and that was it. He said, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala questioned me when I entered into the grave, he said that for that one act of deed that you performed to mend these relationships between these two people, I give you this paradise. I give you this reward in paradise. Sometimes the small things, our effort in supporting others in this dunya that we live in can be of benefit for us in this world and in the next world. Maybe one day, inshallah, we can continue talking about some of the other Points that the Imam Ali Salatu Wasalam mentioned, but for today we'll conclude over here. Walhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Wasallallahumma ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyina Muhammad wa alihi al-Tayyibin al-Tahirin. Allahumma salli Muhammad. If you would like to listen to more, please donate to www.icnyu.org slash donate. For more of our virtual programs, go to www.icnyu.org slash classes. If you have any questions, email us at info at icnyu.org.